welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. I am your host, Lauren Burke. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And this week, we are continuing our series on fun stuff like sex, scandal, gossip, and social climbers with an episode all about Mary Robinson, who was an author, actress, and mistress to the Prince of Wales, and also the Scottish botanical illustrator and author Elizabeth Blackwell, and the connection that these two women shared, which I'm going to go ahead and spoil for you now. It was debtor's prison, which is which is quite interesting. According to Stephen Ware, in the 18th and 19th centuries, 10,000 people were imprisoned in England each year for debt. And the thing with debtor's prison is that being locked up, that's not like the answer to the debt. Oh, I like didn't realize that actually. No, it's just like, it doesn't cancel it. So you still have to pay it back and then you're kind of being held for like release. It doesn't always mean that you're like locked in a room, you know, like Mm -hmm. the prisons had varying degrees of like, some you could receive visitors, some you could conduct business, some you could stay close by, but until it's paid, you're kind of like under the control of the prison. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that means that the families of those who were incarcerated just had to find the money. So if your husband is locked up in debtor's prison, he ain't coming out. He's not back to business until you've found the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to tell us more about the inventive ways that Mary Robinson and Elizabeth Blackwell worked themselves out of debt, worked their husbands out of debt, is our friend Cleo O'Sullivan, the communications and public engagement manager of Chawton House. You might remember Cleo from our episode on the Chawton House Man Up exhibition, and that is season 4.2, episode 8, if you want to check that out. Now, full disclosure, I did this interview just before we taped our Literary Ghost Tour episode. So I had to ask if there were any, you know, ghosts at Chawton House. It was just, it was on my mind. Um... So yeah, if you're wondering why, that that's why. And Hannah, of course, is rolling her eyes at me right now. I haven't heard. Is are there any hauntings at Charton? Um, I th- some people say there are. Um, I don't think I'm very sensitive to ghosts, which sure. I'm not too sorry about, because I stay over here quite a lot, and I just can't be dealing with that. There's one famous story though that there's supposedly a grey lady that walks between mm-hmm. the exhibition rooms. Um, and a lot of that, that was down to Jeremy Knight, who used to live here. Um, there was some, he said, the dogs would never sleep in that room. Um, and then one of his like, his uncles or his cousins sort of stayed in that room. And then the middle of the night got really spooked and s- slept in a different room. And then a few years ago, we Jasna had just paid for um, some exhibition cabinets to be installed. And they were like super duper top of the line. Nothing was in them, but they were just installed. And the next day, one of the cabinets was broken and apparently smashed from the inside out. And everyone was like, oh my God. And the theory goes that the ghost walked through it because the wall is a new built wall. So the ghost obviously doesn't know that there's a wall there. She used to just walk through it. So um, Jeremy told our librarian that he had to, go in and ask the ghost to use the door next time. So, and it's never smashed since. 
I mean, you got to love a polite ghost. Really, that's that's pretty great. So getting back to this season, uh, we have been looking for stories about scandal and or money and power dynamics. And I just, you know, wondered if you might have a few scandal stories that you guys share at Chotten House during the tours. Um, so it's, it's funny you mentioned money and power dynamics because I thought the two main stories that I think we're best known for and the ones we promote the most tend to be um, Mary Robinson because um, we've got her fabulous, you know, this this portrait, you know, the yeah, um, one. it's a good portrait. It is absolutely stunning. It's so beautiful, um, and so. I was thinking she had a very scandalous life, mm-hmm. um, really. Um, but I thought the thread tying it to our other main story would be the scandal of debtors prison, because of course her husband um, led their family to debtors prison and she kind of wrote her way out to quote Hamilton. And then the other story I was connecting that to would be um, Elizabeth Blackwell, because um, our herb garden is named for Elizabeth Blackwell. Oh, yeah. Um, and similar story. Uh, it's always the men. They're such rotters. Mm-hmm. But um, her husband was a quack doctor, and he ended up in debtor's prison. And so that's why she wrote the sort of the Blackwell, the, the, the curious herbal, in order to raise funds to get him out of debtor's prison. Oh, I did not know that. I don't even know, like, what time. I mean... I have an idea of what time period she falls under, but I don't even know exactly where she is as far as like related to Austin and who's usually sort of my my go to. So Elizabeth Blackwell definitely is preceding Austin by quite some way. Um, so she's published. We're not sure when she was born, but she's publishing her Curious Herbal from 1737 to 39. So it takes two years because it is a huge, huge compendium. And for the first time ever in our exhibition, we've got it on display, mm-hmm. um, which is super duper exciting. It was sold, each volume was sold for five pounds, which obviously in the early to mid 18th century was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because each plate is painstakingly drawn by her. And then you could choose whether to have it coloured in or not for an extra extra price uh so alongside it is sort of the medicinal explanations for it um and elizabeth blackwell was just such a savvy marketeer really because she saw the gap you know that um this is kind of the age of exploration or like the sort of aftermath of it but there are a lot of new world plants that hadn't really been categorized yet for the wider public so she took up rooms near chelsea physic garden whilst her wronging of a husband was in death's prison and so she'd walk every day to Chelsea Physic Garden and draw all of the plants from life and then actually in fairness to her uh wronging husband he was a quack doctor so he did know the medicinal medicinal use <laughs> for a lot of these plants so then she kind of worked in collab with him but it was really her she was the driving force um and that's that's how it like got produced and published it, how are you guys displaying it too? Because I'm sure it must be. Um, do, do have you picked like a certain page to show, or like it must be really difficult to pick? I would think as well. Yeah, because they are just so so beautiful. Um, my favorite drawing from it is the St John's Wort, which is just sort of long and spindly. And 
a lot of our medicines today we still use St John's Wort. Yeah, people still buy St John's Wort. Um, so we've got at the moment um, the sort of poppy, so that's very bright and vivid. Um, and I think it looks like a peach, but it's. <laughs> I need to check what it is before I say it, it looks like a peach. Um, but so we're as the exhibition botanical women carries on throughout the season we're going to change uh what pages are on display to sort of reflect oh, cool. the season things like that oh so, very cool yeah there's probably not a ton of copies of that left i'm guessing hardly any hardly any um and each one is actually kind of unique because you could decide whether or not to have the plates colored so the British Library has one and they did a really fabulous project where they kind of digitized, not all of it, but some of it. Um, but say, for instance, our copy would be very slightly different to their copy. So and, and we actually um, got um, funding, grant funding in order to have have it conserved, because although it was in very good condition, the sort of the main sort of title board on the second volume was separate to it. So, uh, yeah, we, we got it conserved and then. Um, put on display for the first time ever at Chawton House. So very excited. That's very cool. Oh, I'm desperate to see it. Are there reprints of that? Are there like modern day reprints of her book by any chance? Not fully, not fully. And I think that actually, that's what our curator, Emma, is really, really keen to do. Um, she's she's really keen to get it properly, properly digitized, our copy in particular, because like I said, each copy kind of is slightly varied. Um, but yeah, the, the the best one would be the, the British Library one, and that gives you a sense of it. But again, because it doesn't do the whole thing, it just gives you more of a taste really. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can get some pretty cool prints as well. So I'm imagining that I'm there at Chotten House looking at this very cool portrait of Mary Robinson. Can you tell me a little bit more about her? So that is Mary Robinson, uh, known as the English Sappho, known as Perdita, who was a figure of great scandal, but also uh, much lauded for her writing ability. And unfortunately, as is often the way, this patriarchy in which we live, um, she's probably known more for her sexuality now than her writerly ability mm. um we have her portrait mary robinson's portrait it's actually my favorite portrait in the whole of the collection because it's just so stunning um but it's um she's she's famous because when she be was an actress on the stage you know in she was playing the role of padita in a winter's tale and the young prince of wales later prince regent later George the Fourth, i.e., the worst monarch ever. Well, people knew what an arsehole he was. He was only seventeen, and he saw her and was completely besotted by Mary Robinson. And she sort of was initially like, "No, I'm married. Um, this, I can't do this." But she had no loyalty to her husband because, as I said, her husband had been in debtor's prison, and she'd married him at the age of fourteen, and he'd really tricked her and her family um, into making them think he was sort of due to inherit a, inherit a great deal of wealth and fortune. And even, even so, she was still like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to. But then her younger brother, who she was very close with, got sick and he kind of helped nurse him back to health. And she sort of 
felt honor bound to marry him and then quickly realized that he wasn't all that. Um, and yeah, led a dissolute life of sort of gaming and um, affairs and spending money that he didn't have. So she, she um, took to the stage and was apparently excellent in it and really was renowned for the breaches roles and Garrick sort of launched her career. So it was while she was on stage as Perdita that the young Prince of Wales saw her, totally was enamored by her. And she sort of was very reluctant because she knew if she became the Prince of Wales mistress, then she would have to give up her career on the stage, of which she was very good. Um, but I guess she she kind of was flattered by his attention. And like I said, no one really at that point knew how horrible he was. So she believed his declarations of love as sincere. And, and also he sort of said, as recompense for giving up your career in the stage, I'll give you £20,000. Um, Quite a lot. Huge, yeah, a huge amount of money. So she reluctantly agreed. Um, but unfortunately... The Prince of Wales kind of showed his true colours within the year and dropped her basically um, without paying the £20,000, but she couldn't go back to the stage at that point. Um, and then she was in a really tricky position because she wanted to get the money that was owed to her, was her right, but then by demanding it, you're kind of making it sort of a declaration that you're not you weren't in it for the love, you were in it for the money. But yeah, going back to the scandal of her horrible, horrible husband being in debtor's prison, um, it was while she was in debtor's prison, um, unusually she and her her daughter went into debtor's prison with with her husband. Um, And it was there she realised that you could write and yeah, she wrote her way out. um, And her poems were so popular hence the moniker that she now is given of being the English Sappho. Um, And she managed with the money made to, yeah, create enough funds to to get her husband out of debtor's prison. And apparently when her first novel was released, um, people were queuing up around the block um, to buy her novel. And it sold out sort of within the within the day. So then they had to get a second edition out there. And sort of the only thing I can think of in modern day equivalency would be, you know, J.K. Rowling with like, mm-hmm. um, like you know, the latest Harry Potter. Like everyone, everyone had to have it and like had to have it the night it came out, which I think is pretty exceptional. And do you know what I admire about her? Yes, she can really escape the sort of connection between... Her, her art and her work and her sexuality. But she was sort of aware of that, saw the the value in it really and thought, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to get what I can out of it. And she she wrote as well um, an autobiography, which you sort of think um, <laughs> it's not always true, but then she's, she's the one with the pen and yeah. she kind of writes herself as this quite tragic heroine, but writes beautifully. She sort of talks about one of her first balls and um, the sort of, festooned archway of flowers and it's it's just really beautiful and you just are immediately stepping out with her um into that sort of into the bon ton 
and you're kind of like yeah men are terrible you've had an awful <laughs> time of it but you've done amazingly well and been this huge huge success and she was she wrote um um letters addressing the women of England and she was a huge proponent and fan of Mary Wollstonecraft she talks about uh, a le- we need to be a legion of Wollstonecrafts she was great pals with Godwin mm-hmm. um and even after Godwin um married Mary Wollstonecraft she wrote him a letter she's like oh you hardly ever see me anymore blah 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 and you sort of think I wonder if his wife had anything to do with that because she did have this damning reputation even though an amazing brilliant mind and a really incredible writer and she's just she's just the best. What is that first book that people were queuing up for? So um her first novel Vincenza or The Dangers of Credulity published in 1792, sold out in a day as a gothic novel. And so was it more to do with her reputation as Perdita, as she was known to the sort of uh, satirical press than her talent for writing? Well, it doesn't matter because her six more novels that she wrote covered themes of oppression, slavery, and the condition of women and male tyranny. So, which is just great that she was writing that amazing and yeah and um, her memoir is really short and well worth a read but she she did sometimes write under nom de plumes as well but everyone knew who it was and I again I think that kind of added to her mystique and sort of um her her reputation but uh yeah but she I she really she was a feminist like a really strong strong proponent of women's rights and she was part of that radical group as well and she was like had such high intellectual ability um and she knew it had been compromised by her sexual reputation and her beauty but she still like challenges it anyway and she's just one thing she says in her feminist polemic is why the graces of feminine beauty are to be constituted emblems of a debilitated mind does the finest symmetry of form or the most delicate tint of circulation exemplify a tame submission to insult or oppression so I was like she's just amazing um we've got a first edition of her poems as well in the collection um as yeah as well as some of her novels as well and actually this is this is hot of the press I hope I hope um our curator doesn't kill me for saying this but I'm just so excited on her behalf our curator Emmy Andel is for 2023 curating the first ever monographic exhibition on Mary Robinson. So there's been various exhibitions featuring Mary Robinson, mm-hmm. but never any on just Mary Robinson. So that's going to be sort of our, our big, big exhibition. Very excited about that. And we are back. So Lauren, I've got to say, I have been to Chorton a couple of times now, and I do not feel a malignant presence other than your little voice going <laughs> ah you don't think this house is very great do you whoa is that a fire alarm it surely was is your house on fire i do not know what those boys are doing it's funny how that happened just as you started talking about ghosts oh just gonna say stop it <laughs> oh my god that's you can't say that right as i was gonna do an impression of you as well yeah, mm. so your voice haunts me. I will, I admit, I've been haunted at Shorten. Your voice haunts me. 
me not believing in ghosts regardless if a dog is not sleeping in a room i'm not sleeping in a room like is that superstition or is that common sense come on so let's pivot away from ghosts for a moment Mm -hmm. let's go back to the books okay sure so i uh elizabeth blackwell's curious herbal i wrote mysterious herbal curious herbal is mysterious would be good too oh either way yes yeah yeah either way it sounds great (laughs) But yeah, that's beautiful. I agree that we definitely need like a modern reprint of that book. Just like a nice mm-hmm. like coffee table, you know, archival oh, yeah. quality paper. Not glossy, you know, the expensive, mm-hmm. like maybe a vegetable ink. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I was looking through the British Library version because you can get that one online. And mm-hmm. I really loved the rosemary. But when I saw the dandelion, I realized that when I was like, I think eight, my mum and my auntie let me dig up, peel, boil, and eat a dandelion root because I thought it was a carrot. Oh no, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did and it taste? Bitter, like vile. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Not great. Oh my gosh. And if we had had a copy of the <laughs> Curious Herbal, we could have just been flicking through that and being like, not a carrot, yeah. dandelion root. Why, yeah. why would there just be a carrot growing in the garden? We need this resource, is what you're yes. saying. Yeah, yeah what, it absolutely that's what needs to be reprinted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think it would be great. Um, I don't know who we have to talk to. Do we need to reprint it? Do we need, Can we reprint it? Do we do a Can Kickstarter? We? Can we? How Can we? Uh, does this work? Should we take up a, a subscription like uh, yeah. more in Montague? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and maybe we could do like a dark version of that uh, book. We can do the mysterious version. Yeah, the mis- the mystery is what route am I eating in yeah. various photos throughout. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say um, back to Mary Robinson, who's fascinating. Um, she has this little poem that I stumbled across that I really liked, and it's about female gamblers. Hannah, will you read it for us? And I think this was a newspaper poem as well, which, you Mm. know, she probably was just writing for fun and quick cash. Each idle coxcomb leaves the wretched fair, alone to languish and alone despair. To cards and dice the slighted maiden flies and every fashionable vice applies. Scandal and coffee pass the morn away, at night a rue, an opera or a play. Thus glide their life, partly through inclination, yet more because it's the reigning fashion. I enjoy that. I really like that little line about scandal and coffee. That's cute. Yeah, that's a great line. Um, So even though I know this is like a sort of cautionary tale, right? Mm-hmm. About gambling. It's not like gambling's great. It's Right. Know, it's like, eh, it's a trifle, a trifling mm-hmm. thing. Um, It really... Uh, it's definitely clear that this is what the cool kids are doing, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's very fashionable, it's in, it's fun, it's not, like, vital <laughs> that you go and gamble. And it just had me thinking about that Sophia Coppola movie, Marie Antoinette. I couldn't remember yeah, what it's yeah. called. Is it called Marie yeah, Antoinette? it is, indeed. Smashed it. And then I was like, does it remind me of that? Or does it remind me of The Duchess? And I realised it reminds me of The Duchess. And that is a 2008 movie about Georgiana Spencer, the Duchess of Devonshire, starring Keira Knightley. So I looked it up 
And it turns mm-hmm. out, Lauren, that the Duchess of Devonshire, Georgi- Georgiana in the film, Georgiana, and Mary Robinson were friends. Of course they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And according to Daniel Robinson, uh, as he explains in the essay, the Duchess, Mary Robinson, and Georgiana's social network, uh, Robinson, Mary Robinson, referred to the Duchess of Devonshire as Beauty's Queen in her 1776 poem, Written on Richmond Hill, and later, the friendly patroness of the unhappy in the dedication to captivity, published in 1777. And despite the fact that all of the characters in the film appear in the subscription list of poems by Mrs. M. Robinson, published in 1791. Mary Robinson is not in the film. Mary Robinson had a liaison with Mr. Fox, the politician. Mm -hmm. And he's in that film a whole lot. That's rude. It is really rude. So I re-watched The Duchess this week. Mm -hmm. I put it on. I made Jack watch it with me. And he was just sat there going, oh, this is a sad film. Oh, this is a sad film. And I was like, it's getting, it's going to get sadder. It's getting sadder. <laughs> His favourite thing about the holiday is that the film starts off bad and just goes up. And everyone gets happier. And I was like, you know, this is the opposite. Opposite. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. it's going to go down. I um, That's sad because I wish we could like have sort of a, more of a, a bird's eye view of like the scandalous women mm-hmm. and like that circle. What's, yeah. What is interesting about it as well about the duchess and i think about like the duchess is about a woman who is caught between a man that she is unhappily married to and a man that she's having an affair with and Mm -hmm. like that's and there's one other there's two other characters her mother and then the woman that her husband is also having an affair with who Mm -hmm. you know she's friends with spoiler alert for the duchess guys but i mean it came out what like 13 years ago um whereas what I'm what I'm really interested in seeing is like all of those all of these connections and like let's just mm-hmm. sack the men off in this film. Like they're all throw them all in yeah. debtors prison and get them <laughs> out at the end of the film. But we don't need to just have like one like one woman. Yes. Um, Mary Robinson and Georgiana Spencer were working on political campaigns together. There are scenes where Georgiana oh. is like she's at political dinners she's like speaking on the little stage thing that they mm-hmm. s- set up in the olden days and um yeah just well it's female exceptionalism right yeah yeah so like she's cool she's like fashionable all of the men love her and that's why she's involved but she's like a rare breed and actually there are all of these women that are mm-hmm. involved and that are talking about stuff and publishing stuff and it's just yeah, and also we don't, and mocked. we don't have a sense of that. We, we feel don't like have they're outliers. Yeah, instead of like yeah, like everyone is looking at her rather than her like running in a pack. And I think mm-hmm. what Dickinson, the TV show, does a really good job of doing is just reminding you, fictional or not, that a lot of people knew each other. And if you're young yeah. and attractive and you've got some money, or you know, like mm-hmm. you're a gang. Like let's get the gangs in in these period mm-hmm. dramas. I don't just want to see a solitary beauty like. Mm-hmm. I want the mates as well. Yeah, same, same, absolutely. And this whole gang would be great. Like all of the blue stockings mm-hmm. and the aristocracy. And then even as we talked about last week, like bringing in sort of like the working classes, like Anne Yearsley, like that, those tensions are so mm-hmm. interesting and Imagine the, would make a great series. The bit in like 
the bit in Mean Girls, or like there's just the canteen trope, and it's like, oh, here you've got your blue stockings, they don't drink, they don't gamble, they just talk about books, and then you've got mm-hmm. like, uh, there's Georgiana's table, they won't stop drinking. The other thing that occurred to me, what, what's funny is I've made this an episode about the Duchess, but mm-hmm. um, what rewatching it also made me understood why people that kind of came along after or were growing up with that as the backdrop like I get why Jane Austen didn't approve of the Prince Regent mm-hmm. and why going to London chasing after the season or you know like characters like Mary Crawford like that all just makes it makes so much more sense to me like what she's alluding to the sort of lifestyle that mm-hmm. the city represents and like the sort of circles that people are moving in and um, you shared a really great article with me before we recorded called Gambling and Game- Gambling on Gaming, Mary Robinson's Literary Censures of the Fashionable Vice by Ely Bonds. And there's a really, I, I think of it as Austin-esque because it's a naval connotation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but obviously she's not in the Navy. But Lauren, will you read this like gossip column that from yeah. the article? It's so good. All right, so I'm going into this cold. Don't don't judge me too hard. Okay. The Perdita was captured some time ago by the Fox, but was afterwards retaken by the Malden and had a complete suit of new rigging when she fell in with the Tarleton. Her maneuvering to escape was admirable, but the Tarleton, completely determined to take her or perish, would not give up the chase and, at length, coming alongside the Perdita, fully determined to board her sword in hand, she instantly surrendered at discretion. And this is from Ship News, the Morning Post? There's a little column called Ship News. Yeah, and it's a gossip (laughs) column. So all of those ships, the Fox, the Molden, the Tarleton, those are all her lovers. And it's basically like, it's so... The bit where it's like determined to board her sword in hand. I was just like, <laughs> like these people. <laughs> I would love, I would love a contemporary gossip column that was written in this style. Like <laughs> just maybe like can page six get a naval makeover? I don't know. Just like something like an Instagram account. What's the one you always send me stories from? Mm, Dumois. Dumois. Yeah. yeah. Can we get like a naval version of that? Actually, one thing I loved in that essay was how um, Mary Robinson was always like puffing herself, which Mm. means that she was writing stories for papers about intrigues and liaisons that involved her, but allegedly never happened. Yeah. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) I feel like a lot of PR managers. uh, Yeah, we're still doing that. Right. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the Real Housewives, you know, fill this modern day need for gossip and scandal. And this is really no different, right? I mean, these puff pieces were written to keep people, you know, relevant and to sell books. And yeah, it's no different to selling a story about yourself to page six, which, uh, you know, Luann, you're doing all the time. We love you. But Countess Luann, you're doing it. And how many of the housewives write? Well, write. Um, books about their experiences like just all the time yeah Mm -hmm. so it's nothing nothing changes nothing changes Mm -mm. Caroline Radziwill is a blue stocking she would be no she would she be she I I think think she she would would be she would fancy herself yeah yeah Mm -hmm. she would fancy herself a blue stocking for sure 
So that's it for this week. Next week, we will be discussing all things guilty pleasures and the works of E-D-E-N Southworth. Eden Southworth. That those E the E D E N all stands mm. for th- those are all names that she has. It's a lot. I don't remember them all. But in the meantime, <laughs> we will be sharing our favorite plants, including that dandelion root of Hannah's <laughs> that you ate <laughs> on our Instagram I'd eat it again. For money, maybe. <laughs> if the uh, good people would like to see your favorite root, where can they go then? <laughs> Well, my Instagram's private. Uh, you can find us, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us at bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. You can join our lively discussion, uh, root discussion group <laughs> on Facebook by searching for Bonnets at Dawn. And you can buy our book, Why She Wrote, wherever you get your literary things. <laughs>